If you love chilling mysteries, unsolved cases, and a touch of mom-style humor, Moms and Mysteries is the podcast you've been searching for. Hey guys, I'm Mandy. And I'm Melissa. Join us every Tuesday for Moms and Mysteries, your gateway to gripping, well-researched true crime stories. Each week, we deep dive into a variety of mind-boggling cases as we shed light on everything from heists to whodunits. We're your go-to podcast for mysteries with a motherly touch. Subscribe now to Moms and Mysteries wherever you get your podcast. If you love chilling mysteries, unsolved cases, and a touch of mom-style humor, Moms and Mysteries is the podcast you've been searching for. Hey guys, I'm Mandy. And I'm Melissa. Join us every Tuesday for Moms and Mysteries, your gateway to gripping, well-researched true crime stories. Each week, we deep dive into a variety of mind-boggling cases as we shed light on everything from heists to whodunits. We're your go-to podcast for mysteries with a motherly touch. Subscribe now to Moms and Mysteries wherever you get your podcast. Welcome, dear friends, to Greg Kelly Reports with me, your guest host, Sebastian Gorka. When I was a kid, I may have been living over the pond in the UK, but if you said the letters FBI to me, it meant something. Whether it was the FBI of yore, the Elliot Ness FBI, the Untouchables, or whether it was the cool FBI of Hollywood and the X-Files, it meant something. It was good guys hunting down bad guys. It was fighting for truth and protecting the innocent. Not anymore. If the FBI knocked on my door today, I'd tell them to go talk to my lawyer. Who do they work for today? That's going to be the question we dig into here on Greg Kelly Reports. Now, you probably know me from my time in the White House as deputy to President Trump for strategy. I had a national security brief inside the administration working on counterterrorism issues. Before I joined the Trump White House, however, for many, many years, I worked very closely with law enforcement, uh, whether it was the NYPD, whether it was state law enforcement, whether it was local law enforcement, or even whether it was the FBI. My wife and I had a company. There I am at one of the field offices in the armory with a classic FBI Tommy gun. Yes, they still have a few of those Tommy guns in the armory. And my wife and I had a company which had the only external contract to provide counterterrorism training to the FBI to help them understand groups like Al-Qaeda and like ISIS. And it meant a great deal for me. Over the years, I trained thousands and thousands of agents and intelligence analysts and SOS staff, as the support personnel are called. So it breaks my heart to tell you the following story and to ask the question of who does the Bureau work for today and who are they really targeting? When I was in the White House, I was given a very special job to do with counterterrorism. And I needed to bring people over from other parts of government to support me. The, the White House is just the leadership of the executive arm, the federal arm. And so the other agencies work for the president. 
And over the years, I trained numerous people who are now placed across the agencies. And I wanted to second them to the White House for a year or two to help me with this mission. One of them was a female at the CIA, and the three others were FBI agents. I put in an at-named request with the White House Personnel Department, HR, and I said, I would like John Smith from the FBI. I'd like Jane Doe from the CIA, which is a very standard procedure. Usually it takes maybe two weeks. Their clearances are moved from their agency over to the White House. Their director signs off and they come and work for us. After the first month, nothing. I went back, asked the HR department. They said, don't worry about it, Dr. G. Just dotting the I's, crossing the T's, the final paperwork. They'll be with you here in the West Wing shortly. Then another month. Then another month. No support staff. No FBI special agents. No CIA intel analyst. For month after month. Finally, a very senior FBI agent who had business in the Eisenhower Executive Building next to the White House decided to peel off one day and come and see me informally. And he took the time to say, Seb, you know those requests you put in for those three special agents? You're never going to get them. And I said, why? And this is a direct quote. This FBI special agent said, because this FBI's seventh floor, the leadership, people like Jim Comey, look at this White House as, quote, the enemy. The man duly elected by 64 million Americans to be their president was deemed by the unelected heads of the FBI as their enemy. Now, that is the definition of the deep state. And you don't have to take my word for it. Just listen to the kinds of responses that senators and congressmen whose duty, whose responsibility it is to practice oversight over the executive arm, over federal government, over the intelligence community, over federal law enforcement, what responses they are given by Christopher Wray with regards to, let's say, that strange case of the Governor Whitmer kidnap investigation that collapsed under its own weight of unbelievability. Here's Senator Cruz with Director Ray. Recently, there was the case against individuals charged with kidnapping and murdering Governor Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. That case ended up an absolute debacle where the four people who went to trial Two of them were acquitted, two received mistrials. None of them were convicted on even a single charge. And the basis of the defense was entrapment, that the FBI, that paid enforcements for the FBI, had suggested and had incited the conduct. Let me ask you, how many FBI agents were disciplined or reprimanded after that disastrous case and the misconduct that led to every defendant being acquitted or having a mistrial on every charge? Uh, Senator, I can't comment on a personal matter. I can tell you that that case, as I understand it, is now pending a, uh, a retrial, as I understand it. 
So what oversight are we exercising? You can just say that's a personnel issue. But it's not just the Senate. It's also the House. Here's Congressman Bishop asking some very pertinent questions and making some very relevant points about the FBI. A dozen FBI informants involved in the process, undercover FBI agent, uh, several of them, one, one of whom taught, purported to teach how to make a bomb and used a, a bomb video produced by the FBI. At one point, according to the New York Times, there was a nighttime surveillance at Governor Whitmer's vacation cabin, and four of the participants were informants, including Big Dan, or undercover agents. At one point when the group was sort of falling apart in August 2020, the FBI handler congratulated Big Dan, said, quote, look at you bringing people together. Now, he congratulated him for breathing new life into the plot. Um, not as well known, the same FBI agent, Jason Chambers, coached Big Dan in a parallel scheme to recruit folks into a contrived plot against former Virginia Governor Northam. FBI agents generating the plot, using their undercover assets to ginny up assassination or kidnap schemes that wouldn't have existed unless the FBI had created them. That's fake cases created by the FBI. How about a real case that strangely isn't being covered by the January 6 witch hunt? You'd think that a bomb left outside the DNC headquarters would be an important subject. Why is the bomber who placed that pipe bomb outside the DNC when Kamala Harris, vice president-elect, was in the building? Why is nobody looking for him? And why are they potentially, according to Darren Beatty of Revolver, hiding the footage of his face? This was just released. And you need to see it. This is the DNC pipe bomb. According to the FBI, it was planted the night before January 6th at 7.52 p.m. on the north side of this park bench. The FBI has released two clips of the pipe bomber at this scene from two different security cameras. Camera 1 shows the pipe bomber walking up to the DNC grounds at roughly 7.42 p.m. He sits on bench 1, building, and 10 minutes later, he comes back to the same bench area and sits on bench 2. There, at 7.52 p.m., camera 2 captures the pipe bomber sitting on bench 2 and, we are told, planting the pipe bomb by the side of the bench. We can't see the moment the pipe bomber plants the pipe bomb, but the FBI can. That's because the whole scene should be captured on camera 1 as well and much more clearly than camera 2. If the FBI released the full tape from camera 1, we could see the pipe bomber planting the bomb. Why has only one of the camera's full footage been released? Why is the footage of the face of the bomber not being released? Is it because it's the identity revealed of somebody that the FBI wants to protect? God bless Darren Beatty in Revolver News. So who are the enemies that the FBI is identifying, who they deem to be the threat to America? Thanks to James O'Keefe, a two-page document has been leaked to the press, which is called the FBI's Domestic Terrorism Symbols Guide. These are the symbols that indicate you might be a domestic terrorist. Is it a BLM flag? Is it an Antifa symbol? 
No, these are the symbols that the FBI thinks make you a domestic terrorist. Number one, the Gadsden flag, the historic Gadsden flag of America is identified by the FBI as a signal of your being a domestic terrorist. Not only that, Betsy Ross's flag, yes, Betsy Ross's flag indicates you are a threat to America. Or the Tree of Liberty, the historic Tree of Liberty that our founding fathers spoke of. Again, a symbol of domestic terrorism. Or if you discuss certain dates and events, the second-hand side of this document says, if you're talking about Ruby Ridge from 1992, or the Waco siege of 1993, or the Oklahoma City bombing, which was 27 years ago, then you, you're probably a domestic terrorist. But no, there's no discussion of the 40 people killed by BLM and Antifa rioters. There's no discussion of who killed David Dorn. There's no discussion of the people who tried to burn down the presidential church, St. John's Episcopal, one block from the White House. No, 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 no. That's not domestic terrorism. That's social justice activism. The FBI is out of control. And the FBI has become an enforcement arm of political policing for the Democrats. How do we stop it? How do we reform it? Can it be reformed is the question that we will delve into today. I'm Sebastian Gorka, former deputy to the president, and this is Greg Kelly Reports. As the child of those who suffered and escaped communist dictatorship, I've always been leery to use comparisons of those kinds of regimes to America, which I chose as my home, which I'm now a citizen of. The idea that communism is creeping into the United States or that we could have a political police, I used to shoo those away. Not anymore. Let's look at a couple of instances of political policing in America in just the last couple of years. Number one, Carter Page, a graduate of the Naval Academy who served this nation, assisting the FBI track down Russian agents, who was illegally surveilled by the same FBI and was accused of being an asset of a foreign intelligence agency. That's where the story begins. Secondly, my former colleague, my superior in the transition team for the President of the United States, General Mike Flynn, a national hero, more than 30 years in uniform in the U.S. military intelligence and eventually director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, hounded, set up, entrapped by the FBI for no crime. Or Paul Manafort, who eh, you may not like Paul Manafort, but the idea that he was accused of being a Russian colluder, but then was charged with misstating an application for a mortgage, yeah, that's not justified, however you dislike him. And then my former Breitbart colleague, Steve Bannon, a man who is absolutely right when he stands outside the court saying Nancy Pelosi's committee on January 6th is illegal and he will not recognize their subpoena. 
Or lastly, my White House colleague, Peter Navarro, who was arrested at Reagan Airport and putting leg shackles because he too refused to recognize that illegal committee. If that's not political policing, I don't know what is. What can be done about it? Let's talk to two true experts, patriots who know this field so very, very well. Former U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, Joe DiGenoa, and former Intelligence Committee staffer from the Senate, Victoria Tansing. Welcome to the Greg Kelly Report Show. Great to be Good with you. Good to be here, Seb. Guys, am I overstating this? You, you, you've lived in the swamp for decades. You've worked in law enforcement. You've worked in the intelligence community. Are we seeing political policing in America today? My, my only criticism of you, Sab, is that you left out the Justice Department because none of this could have been done without main justice. Uh, in fact, for Peter Navarro, by the time a case is indicted, it's the Justice Department who's in charge. Those FBI agents, I'm sorry that they did what they did, a public arrest of a, somebody for a misdemeanor, for goodness sake. But the Justice Department and FBI are to blame. Joe? I don't think there's any doubt that we are at a low ebb in the history of federal law enforcement. And you have aptly described some of the examples of the overreach. We now have what I call in terrorum law enforcement, where the actual abuse of power comes not only in the charging of cases that are ill-founded and politically based, but in the use of the arrest as a way to embarrass and intimidate people who've done basically nothing wrong and are presumed innocent until proven guilty. What the Justice Department under Merrick Garland and the FBI under Chris Wray are doing by using these type of arrest tactics and the shackling of people for misdemeanors is to embarrass and intimidate. That is a constitutional abuse. And in my opinion, it is worthy of impeachment. And here's something even more diabolical. Seb, they are criminalizing conduct that has never before been illegal conduct. And I'm talking about the best example, the alternate electors. That's been done throughout our history. How is being an alternate elector in case court cases are won? By the way, there's a deadline sometime in December. And so court cases are still going on about the election. And if you don't have your your people in place as alternate electors, you're out. And Kennedy did it in 1960. That's one of the most recent times that it's been used. So if that's illegal, Seb, tell me why it wasn't illegal for a law professor, Lawrence uh, Lessig, to say, I will give free legal advice after the Trump was elected to anybody who's a Trump elector who will change being a Trump elector. Isn't that interfering with the federal election? I appreciate your correction, Victoria. You're right. When I was in the administration, I realized that of all the corruption across the U.S. government, the DOJ was perhaps the most corrupt. Let me ask you, Joe, um, President Trump's going to run. He's going to announce it imminently. If he comes back in office, can we clean out main DOJ? Can we fix the FBI or do we have to demolish it and start from scratch? Well, I think the first thing that has to be done uh, if President Trump were elected is he has to fire the men he made the FBI director. He has to get rid of him right away. Christopher Ray is not a leader. All you had to do was watch his congressional testimony the other day, how embarrassingly uninformed he appeared to be. Uh, he's an empty suit. Everybody inside the bureau knows it. He's a pretty boy, uh, the coiffed hair, the whole bit. 
what you have, however, is an organization that it's reeling out of control and desires honest and integrity in its leadership. The same thing is true with the Justice Department, where now politics reigns supreme over everything. You have to clean house. You have to begin from the beginning. Uh, and it's going to take a president like Trump to do that. Because and, and by the way, this Justice Department is going to try and indict Donald Trump. They are going to indict him. Oh, They're going to do everything. I, I, I am absolutely sure of that. I'm absolutely sure that the witch trial, the, the inquisition on Capitol Hill will end with uh, criminal um, referrals to DOJ and that they will try to prosecute him, which is also an outrage. In the meantime, I have to thank both of you for what you did for President Trump after the election and for always always being truth-tellers and patriots. God bless you, Victoria Tansing and Joe DeGeneva. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is Greg Kelly Reports. Stay with us here on Newsmax. When you make yourself above the law, uh, you have violated your duty, uh, you have neglected your duty, and you are displaying a lack of competence uh, to be able to reform those duties. And so today, we are suspending State Attorney Andrew Warren, effective immediately. Quite the press conference. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, saying, if you're an out-of-control, Soros-funded state prosecutor, I'm getting rid of you. You are fired. Is it enough? Is one governor enough? What do we do about it? Let's ask a man who is a legend in law enforcement, the 40th police commissioner of the great city of New York. Bernie Carrick, welcome to Greg Kelly Reports. Thanks, Sebastian. Uh, Commissioner, uh, we, we unbelievably, a few days ago in the Wall Street Journal, George Soros, who funded these people to become these rogue prosecutors who just let criminals out without bail, he wrote an op-ed piece where he said, I still support these prosecutors because it's all about social justice. Ron DeSantis took one measure. Talk to us about how serious this problem is and whether it's only those states where the governor has such power, like in New York, where we can fix this. What is your response? Well, George Soros uh, seems to think that these rogue left-wing radical prosecutors have no effect on crime and the, you know, the surge in crime around the country, the surge in murders, shootings. He says they have no impact, that they have nothing to do with that, when the reality is statistics show that that's a complete falsehood, that's a lie. Uh, the bottom line is what DeSantis did in Florida should be done in Georgia, Chicago, um, Minneapolis, Atlanta, Seattle, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Portland, Every governor from every one of those cities, for those states, they should be doing the same exact thing. New York City, you know, Alvin Bragg should have been removed months ago, a year ago. The bottom line is the governors have the authority to do it. Where they have that authority, it should be done. Because otherwise, you're going to have these substantial increases in violent crime. The community suffers and most importantly, from, from my perspective, Sebastian, they embolden thugs to target cops. The cops are endangered by this activity. So at the end of the, at the, end of the day, governors, have, where they have the authority to do it, they should be doing exactly what DeSantis did.
We have seen uh, for the last calendar year, Commissioner, a record, record uh, gun violence against law enforcement uh, and a record number of fatalities. You still have your connections, your former subordinates, your colleagues in the NYPD and across the nation. What, what is the state of the morale for those still in the bag? How, how do they get up every day, put on the uniform, put on the Sam Brown? Talk to us about the reality of being a police officer today in a Democrat-controlled city. Well, you know what? The reality is where cops go to work and do that. My son's a cop in Newark, New Jersey. Um, the men and women of the NYPD in New York City. Today, they're going to work because they truly feel they can do better for the city. They can help people. They want to protect and serve. The problem is they have leadership that don't give a damn about them. That's the bottom line. If Eric Adams, Eric Adams worked for me. He was a lieutenant under my command back in 2000, 2001. He knows exactly what had to be done in New York City under Giuliani to reduce crime, take violent crime down by 65 percent, take murder down by 70 percent. He knows how to do it. All he had to do was follow that, that book, right? That's all he had to do. He hasn't done it. He hasn't started it. He hasn't attempted to do it. And what does this do to the cops, the men and women? It demoralizes them. It puts them in fear for their own jobs. They're afraid to go out and do their jobs. We've seen so many instances now over the last several months, maybe a year, year and a half, where cops are afraid to respond because they're afraid to be reprimanded. They're afraid that they're not going to be indemnified. They're not going to be supported by the departments, by their leadership, by the mayors, by the governors. The bottom line is when you have cops in that position, they're going to be less apt to be proactive. And when you have less, less proactive policing, you're going to see surges in violent crime and murder. Uh, in your incredible uh, autobiography, A Lost Son, which is, I mean, rarely do I pick up a book that I can't put down, and Lost Son is one of them. You chronicle what you did, your, your rise through the military police, then uh, in the New York system and up to commissioner. And I just need a, a yes or no answer, uh, Bernie. Mm -hmm. It can be turned around, can it not? If leaders like Giuliani or yourself come back or are found in these cities, the crime can be gripped and they can put peace, they can put order back on the streets. It can be done, correct? A thousand percent. And I'll just leave you with this. Keep in mind, when Giuliani came into office in 1994, we had five times, five times the violent crime and murder than they do in New York City today. And we were able to drop it with the most substantial decreases in violent crime and murder in the country's history. So don't tell me it can't be done. Don't tell me there's too yeah. much violence. Don't tell me this about the guns. We have five times what they have today, and we brought it to historic lows. And just that first story of when you went out on patrol and how you just identified the guy who had an illegal gun. It's incredible. Read the book, uh, Lost Son. I'm Sebastian Gorka. That was Commissioner Bernie Kerrick. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, don't you dare touch that remote. We'll be back after these messages.
After I arrived in the White House, got given my top secret clearance, something changed for me. It was like that road to Damascus scene. The scales fell from my eyes. And I realized that all those other threats I'd been studying for years, the terrorist threats, Al-Qaeda and ISIS in Iran, we're going to deal with them. And President Trump did. Even North Korea, Russia, Iran, we're going to put them back in their box. The only real strategic level peer threat we face is China. And I'm grateful to those in the White House, like Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro, who educated me on that, including my former boss, President Trump. So what is China up to? Have you seen all of these headlines? Strange, strange reports of massive tracts of land, of arable land, of farming land being purchased in the United States by Chinese interests or companies that are connected to the state, the communist state of China. What does it all mean? And what what are the latest reports out of Wuhan? Let's talk to somebody who deserves much greater attention to her work than the mainstream media would give it. She is an expert on these issues, investigative reporter for the National Pulse, Natalie Winters. Welcome to Greg Kelly Reports. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with these stories. What, what is going on? Is China really buying up land in America? And if they are, to what end? Sure. America's heartland, America's farmland really seems to be under attack. And what I mean by that is it's a discrete kind of covert type of warfare that the Chinese Communist Party has engaged in since at least 1948 um, against America and the latest, I think, kind of realm in which they're trying to overtake the United States and really gain control of our country is through our food security, our food supplies, and particularly our farmland. So we've seen a lot of these Chinese Communist Party owned either explicitly or through various companies, uh, linked groups. And remember, any China-based company is effectively a state-owned enterprise and that it can be requisitioned by the Chinese Communist Party um, at any time for any given purpose. These companies are buying up large tracts of land across the United States, which not only raises concerns in the fact that they now have effectively seized the means of production, or at least attempting to when it comes to our grain supply. A lot of these states are in the Midwest. Um, But in particular, a lot of the farmland that they're buying up, for example, there is a a large 300-acre plot in North Dakota that they purchased land in. It was just 20 miles um, from a military base where there's a lot of sensitive technology going on there. So it really should leave people worried that China is going for our farmland and really our, our military technologies, too. This form of covert warfare, of permanent warfare, economic warfare, intelligence warfare, can't be done without penetrating the political community. We know Eric Swalwell's problems with Fang Fang, but it's even reaching up to the highest levels of Congress. Talk to us about this story you wrote. Let's put the headline up there that goes all the way to Nancy Pelosi's staff. Sure. So Nancy Pelosi's former communications director, which is a very senior position when it comes to the Hill, uh, he actually leveraged the experience that he gained in her office and his taxpayer salary that he got 
using our, you know, hard-earned tax dollars to make connections with the power players in Washington, D.C. Well, he now uses those connections to help boost Chinese state-run media outlets, particularly a network known as China Central Television and their American offshoot China Global Television Network. This is an entirely Chinese Communist Party-owned TV network that plays constant streams of propaganda, denies that COVID-19 came from China, denies the Uyghur genocide going on. And Brendan Daly, that's his name, he was tasked, tasked with launching this network in the United States, and he promised that he would pump the network into as many American homes as possible and try to dupe Americans into thinking that this network was, quote, compelling, comprehensive, and balanced. All right. I'm going to ask you the innocent little question, uh, Natalie. Uh, how many of your colleagues in the lying legacy mainstream media have reported on that story about Pelosi's chief of communications working for Chinese interests? Uh, how, how many stories approximately were written by them? Absolutely none, but it's no surprise because CGTN, China Daily, a lot of these state-run media outlets buy advertisements, and a lot of these corporate media outlets and a lot of Chinese Communist Party influence groups have paid to take Western journalists on subsidized trips to China, too. So they're all one and the same. Unbelievable. Keep doing what you do. It's a national pulse. Go say hi to Raheem and follow this lady at Natalie G. Winters on Twitter. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is Greg Kelly Reports. Stay on this channel. Do we love this man or what? Arizona is your favorite state. You don't have to say, but I think Arizona is his favorite state. President Trump taught us how to fight, and I took a few notes, and he showed us exactly how to stand up and fight, and Republicans need to fight back. I was at a dinner party at Matt Schlapp's house in the swamp when that lady came up to me over a year ago and said, Dr. G, I want to be the governor of Arizona and I want to introduce myself. And she's Carrie Lake. And man, oh man, was it a nail biter last night into the wee hours. We were texting back and forth with Carrie and I was saying, have you got it? Have you got it? And she said, finally, she's got it. What does it mean? Let's ask a champion of the MAGA movement, founder and CEO of American Majority, Ned Ryan. Welcome to Greg Kelly Reports. Good to be with you, Dr. Gorka. Hey, hey, that's Seb to you, dude. We, we have smoked cigars together. No Dr. G from you. All right. So talk to us about is this woman's victory in the primary emblematic of what's happening in America? We have the stats. We've got the headline, the amazing record of President Trump. I think it's a hundred and. 88 endorsements. I don't think there's anybody in American history who has been that, that successful as a kingmaker. So am I reading too much into it, Ned? Don't calm me down. Tell me what the truth is. No, you, you actually are correct. I think he's 93, 94% win record in the primaries. And what, what Donald Trump is doing is exactly what you have to do to make the Republican Party an America First Party. And, and you do that by winning primaries and showing up conventions. And what Donald Trump has done in 2022 has imprinted America first on the Republican Party by endorsing in, in really incredible races, obviously almost 200, but really key ones, Senate races, gubernatorial races. And, and said the one thing that I really want to point out is not only 
the key Senate races, but the key gubernatorials, obviously with Kerry Lake in Arizona. Yeah. But if Donald Trump wants to see real election integrity take place in some of these problematic states, he wants his America First champions to be the nominees and then win in the general. Because, for example, in Michigan, 39 election integrity bills passed the Republican legislature, all to be vetoed by Gretchen Whitmer. That's why Tudor Dixon's got to win in Michigan. That's why Michaels has to win in Wisconsin. That's why Kerry's got to win in Arizona. That's why Mastriano's got to win in Pennsylvania. You can actually have real election integrity take place before 2024 if these governors win. All right. Um, I have to check in with one of my former White House colleagues in a moment. But first, Ned, you've been uh, sending a message to uh, my former boss about when he should announce he is running. When do you want him to announce quickly? Uh, I'd like him to announce the Tuesday after Labor Day, if nothing else, to control the narrative so that when we take back the House and the Senate in November, uh, the corporate propagandists can't say, well, now, uh, if he doesn't announce before that he's they're now saddled with Donald Trump, announce before the elections, remove the narrative from them, control it. I like that. Are you listening? Are you listening, boss? All right, let's go from one MAGA champion to another MAGA champion. My former colleague in the White House, former special advisor to President Trump, former strategic advisor to the Trump 2020 campaign. When he's on my daily radio show, America First, we just call him the Baron. He's Boris Epstein. Boris, talk to us about what we, the, the baronial wave. I love it. Talk to us about the GOP party. Talk to us about what successes such as Myra Flores mean. Is this a new party? Is it moving one way, America first? Are the rhinos going to be extinct soon? Tell us how you see it. No doubt about it. No doubt about it, Sebastian. So great to be with you second time today. This is the MAGA party now. This is no longer the GOP. This is not the Republican Party from, uh, you know, 2010 or 2012. This is the MAGA party with President Donald J. Trump as the irrefutable, undisputed leader of the MAGA movement and the Republican Party. And you saw it again, well, 41, 42 and 0 in Arizona, 8 and 0 in Tennessee, huge wins in Michigan. And now I think we're about to see a Joe Kent win in, uh, in the state of Washington. President Trump is dominating American politics. President Trump has moved or any democratically elected or any political figure in a democratic country in the history of the world. There's never been somebody with as much political prowess, political power as President Donald J. Trump right now. Yeah, let's just remind everybody, President Trump received more votes than any incumbent president in American history, that despite the four years of what the mainstream lying media did to them. All right, I've got to ask you the big question, Boris. Uh, MAGA candidates winning, 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 crushing it like Carrie Lake. What about leadership? We can win in the midterms. The good guys can win. We can get a 50, 60 seat majority. But the leadership, the MAGA guys aren't going to get those leadership positions. And if they don't, is it same old, same old? Is it rhino footsie under the table with the Democrats? What happens to the leadership dynamic, Baron? MAGA has got to be in full control. Where the new elected, uh, you know, elected officials in Congress and the Senate with elected officials in down-ticket races across the states, and of course, under the ultimate leadership of President Donald J. Trump, there's nothing for leadership to do but know that if they don't follow MAGA, their political careers are over. Now, Mitch McConnell, you know, his political career is winding down as it is, so we've got to have MAGA senators who are voting consistently and ensuring that the Senate goes MAGA. And in the House, hey, 
We better see MAGA policies all across the board. Otherwise, there's going to be changes. Yeah, we want to see the Jim Jordans, the Matt Gates. I know Louis Gomertz is retiring. That's sad, sad, sad. But we need people Too of bad. their ilk and the new MAGA generation like Myra Flores as well. He is the Baron. Follow him, borisep.com. I'm Sebastian Gorka in for Greg Kelly. Stay with us here on Newsmax. You know, there are some faces from history that you'd rather forget. I really thought he was already dead. And then up he pops yesterday. The Darth Vader of the GOP establishment, Dick Cheney. Yeah, watch this. It's sad. In our nation's 246-year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election, and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Lynn and I are so proud of Liz for standing up for the truth, doing what's right, honoring her oath to the Constitution, when so many in our party are too scared to do so. Liz is fearless. She never backs down from a fight. There is nothing more important she will ever do and lead the effort to make sure Donald Trump is never again near the Oval Office. And she will succeed. I am Dick Cheney. I proudly voted for my daughter. I hope you will, too. I'm Liz Cheney, and I approve this message. He doesn't look too healthy. I think he needs some more balance of nature or at least some relief factor. What an embarrassment. Proud of your daughter? She's a disgrace to the Republican Party. And by the way, she's going to be primaried into the dust imminently. But here's the point of that clip. Here's the conclusion you have to draw. The left is the left. They're insane from their transgenderism to the open border. They're nuts. But the bigger problem are the people on our side who say they're on the team, who say they're conservatives, but who aren't. President Trump broke the mold in 2015, 2016, first time ever in American history. We selected a person who wasn't a politician, who wasn't a former retired general. That's what we need in America, the return to the spirit of the founding fathers, people who are citizens first and only politicians later. What is it going to take? Find out right now. Read my new book, The War for America's Soul. It tells you the plan of the left. It tells you the challenge of defeating the rhinos and an exclusive interview with my former boss, President Trump. Yes, I went back into the Oval Office to talk to him about what it's going to take to make America great again. That's the war for America's soul. And don't forget, every Sunday here on Newsmax, wherever you can, are, you can watch me download the app. It's the Gorka Reality Check. 7 p.m. with a re-air at 10 p.m. Eastern. This week, it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be the culture war, how the left won for decades, how it's turning around and how we can beat them and take back the culture. You've got to see it this Sunday, 7 and 10 p.m. Eastern here on Newsmax. I'm Sebastian Gorka. That was fun, Greg. You can go on vacation again. Stay here on Newsmax. Newsmax.